Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. We are, as I mentioned, continuing on in our series called uh, Liar, Liar. And and one of the things I want to kind of talk about today is the way that um, lies can kind of get inside us and begin to do like a destructive work from within, uh, beginning to affect us from the inside out. And, and the ways that they get into us can be very subtle. Um, sometimes they seem like a really, we're very blatant. We know that that particular thing isn't true, but other times it's not so clear. So I'll give you an example. Last week, we were having dinner uh, with a friend of ours named Peter. Peter's a, a registered nurse. He works at the hospital in Newmarket. And uh, so whenever he visits with us, we're always asking him all sorts of questions. You know, you got any crazy stories or what's been going on on your floor? And, and he's only been at it for about six or eight months or something. So he's still feeling very new. Now, Peter is like six foot three, just a lumberjack of a man with a big curly red mop of hair, big beard, big booming voice. And so we're sitting there. Sandra, my wife, was actually out. So it's just me, Peter, and our two boys, Jack and Sam, two years old, or five years old and two years old. And at one point during the meal, Peter goes to my son, Jack. He goes, so Jack, have uh, you had your cootie shot yet? And, and the look on my son's face was one of terror and intrigue and sour cream. We were having tacos. And just absolute, like, what is a cooties shot, he asks, right? Just so, so scared. And so Peter in his big voice, and as far as my son is concerned, Peter is like a doctor, right? Like the most medically professional person we know. Uh, You know, like when you're at school or something and you touch a girl and then you end up with the cooties, you know, if you don't get your shot, then you got to be careful because you can get the cooties. You don't want to pass that on to somebody else. And he's like, what? So we keep talking. Like I said, Sandra wasn't there. So there's like no fear of me being kicked under the table or whatever. So I just let it fly, whatever. Let's have a little bit of fun, right? But an hour later, Peter's gone. The kids are playing. Jack comes back over to me and he goes, so dad, did you ever touch a girl? And I realized like, whoa, like this cooties shot deal is like, this is really sticking with him. Like an hour later, that's a long time for a five-year-old to hang on to something, right? And so the question, did you ever touch a girl? I'm like, well, that's not exactly a talk I'm ready to have with you yet. Um, But I think you're still talking about this cooties thing. So I just said, I just said, you know, well, when I was growing up, they taught me that you keep your hands to yourself. You you don't touch anybody else. You don't touch another girl, another boy, and they don't touch you. And I think you're just going to be better off if you keep your hands to yourself. Yes, they do tell us that at school. We will keep, I will keep my hands to myself. It's like, okay, crisis avoided, right? A little later, Sandra comes home, I'm filling her in, how was dinner? So I tell her this and she's like, yeah, but you told Jack that that's not true, right? It's like, well, what do you mean not true? Not exactly. I'm like, she's like, so you lied to our son? I'm like, I didn't lie to him. It's just one of those things. Like I categorized it as like a white lie, right? These are one of these little things that you just tell your kids. Like, um, like that show is not on Netflix anymore. Like that's one thing we've had to say, whether or not it's true in order to modify our children's behavior, we've had to say, right? Or like when the ice cream truck, right, plays its music, that means that it's out of ice cream. So there's no point chasing it down the street or asking us for ice cream. He's just letting you know, bye everybody, as they drive away, this kind of thing, right? These are not like, right? Every type of food I eat is spicy, as far as my kids are concerned. No, sorry, son, this is the spiciest ice cream you'll ever find. Why? Because get out of way, get away from me. Just let me enjoy my food. So I, I put it into that category. And Sandra, though, what she said kind of got into my head, right? It, it's still a lie, 
right? It's still something that's not true. And whether or not we think it's kind of cute, and don't look at me as if I'm the only one, by the way, who's ever said anything like this to my, to my children or to, to anyone else, because it's not just the kids, right? We might say it to, like I said, modify their behavior. Maybe we actually tell these little bits of white lies or these half-truths or whatever we want to call them because we want to avoid confrontation. We don't want to make somebody feel bad. We kind of want to beat around the bush. And so we kind of say, well, and we kind of just tweak it a little bit. But actually at the core of all these things, is a lie. It is something that's not true. And, and like my son, if any of you know my son, you'll know his kind of personality and characteristic. He, t- he tends to latch on to these kinds of things. And, and as, he, as they latch, like if we're not careful, and that, like we've, all, we've had the whole talk, yet cooties aren't a real thing, and keep your hands to yourself. We've done all that to tell him the truth about it. Because if we didn't, then that would like grow and grow and grow, and he would be walking around like this, paranoid to touch anything or anyone or any dog or anything at any time, right? And gets, it would get into him and actually begin to develop into something that's much, much much bigger and much more significant than what we thought was just a little bit of fun or a little white lie in the beginning. And and that's a kid thing, right? Um, But there are all sorts of things that we actually hear on a regular basis that kind of stick within us. Like, I don't know many adults that are walking around believing that the gum they swallowed five years ago has still not worked its way through their digestive system, right? That's another one of those things that we tell people like take seven years to digest or whatever because we don't want them to swallow gum. Um, So I don't know many adults that are walking around thinking that, but I do know many adults, including myself actually, that have taken certain things in that are not true that have begun to fester and impact us from the inside out. So an example, right? Maybe you're going through a phase of life where you begin to realize it seems like I'm having a difficult time getting along with anybody. Like, it seems like just, I feel like I'm socially awkward or or they're socially awkward towards me. I don't seem to get along with others. They don't seem to get along with me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe, maybe, maybe I actually, maybe people hate me. And then we begin to believe this big lie, which is I'm not a likable person. And what starts from a small little observation or something that we're trying to pay attention, gets inside of us, begins to fester and turns into something that's much worse. Or for example, maybe you go through some experience where somebody um, acts in such a way where they break your trust, right? So you, you might be saying, well, this one man was unreliable or this one woman was unreliable to me. Maybe, maybe all men are actually, you can't trust them. Or maybe it's not just that, maybe it's all, all people. Maybe I can't trust any person at all. It turns into a big lie. It turns into a big thing that begins to define how we see the world. Maybe we start to see, well, nothing ever seems, seems to go my way. I don't have any luck. It's like the odds have never been in my favor. Uh, God for sure isn't smiling down on me. And maybe there isn't even God. Maybe it's like, I feel like I'm alone in this world. And then it gets to this big one where it's like, I am all alone. And there's no one around. It's just me. I've got to figure this out for myself. Or there's these other ones that begin to shape our identity where maybe you fail a test, maybe you fail in a relationship, or maybe you fail at work. And what begins to happen is you realize, well, maybe it's not just that I'm a person who has failed, but actually I'm a failure, unable to succeed or do well in any sort of thing. And throughout our entire lives, every one of us has been exposed to things like this. And, and, and they actually, they're not just from what we observe in the world around us, but they're actually things that are told to us, right? Parents, guardians, grandparents say things that get stuck within us. Coaches, teachers, strangers, the things that strangers say sometimes begin to get lodged inside of us. And whether or not it's true, we have a difficult time telling the difference. And, and we allow these things to become so big that they actually begin to shape the way that we see the world. 
And, and these things that maybe seem minor in the beginning can take root and then become, uh, they actually shape the way that we begin to see ourselves. And, and for some reason, it seems to me and lots of the conversations that I have, and again, in my own life, that we have um, a predisposition, it seems, to give more weight or more value to the things said to us that are not true than we do to the things that are true. Meaning it's easier for us, for some reason, to believe what is a lie than it is for us to believe what is true. And I think that part of the reason this is the case is because we've come to a point, not just in our own personal lives, but where we've come to a point in in the, the state of our world at large where it's very muddy and it's very confusing. And we actually aren't able, we actually have a harder time, I should say, telling the difference between what is true and what is a lie because all of this stuff gets confused and mixed together and what some people call a lie, other people call true and what other people call true, some people call a lie and it gets to this point where we are confused, we are looking around us and we're trying to figure out our own lives, the lives of our our spouse or our family or whoever else, you know, in our workplaces, all these, we're like, okay, even at this level, it's very complex but then you look at what's happening around the world and you say, well, what is actually true? Is this what this whole experience of life is supposed to be like? Like feeling like you always have to be on your A game. You always have to be on your toes. You can't trust anyone. You're not sure. Even the people you really do trust, when they do something that kind of hurts you a little bit, you just don't know if you could. Is this really what it's supposed to be? This doesn't feel the way I think it should feel, we start to say to ourselves. And we might even begin to think like this this state of confusion or the way that my life is on a day-to-day basis actually feels a lot more like I'm dying than it is that I'm living life to the fullest. And this is exactly how the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, describes this. He says, this is the reality that we find ourselves in. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, right? This is the first part of the passage which Kevin read for us earlier on. As for you, you were dead, right? And this, is, this, can, be, this can be conflicting because it's like, well, we have a pulse, right? We can like put our hand, our thumb on our, our wrist or palm or whatever. We can actually feel our pulse. And we, we, we're like, no, I'm not dead. I'm alive. But P, uh, Paul actually is talking about something different. He's not just talking about a physical death. He's talking about a type of spiritual death. Meaning the way we were made to be, the way we were created is not how we're functioning anymore. And actually this has implications, of course, for our physical lives as well. What happens in all of this is the more we try to do things on our own, the more we try to, uh, the more individualized we begin to feel, the more we try to say, okay, I don't know if I can trust anyone out there because I've been hurt and whatever else. I'm going to try and do this all on my own to the point where we begin to be alone, where we begin to feel lonely, where we begin to be alienated or feel alienated, not just from others, but even from God, separate from him. And this is when we begin to say, I, I don't feel like I'm living life the way I was meant to live. Again, I've got this physical pulse, but it feels like there's no vitality in my life. This doesn't feel like I have any connection to other people or to anyone else. This is the experience of death that Paul is talking about here. And ultimately, this death is a separation from God who is the giver of life and the sustainer of life. 
And, and what he actually says, as it continues, is he says, this death, not only have we found ourselves in this position on our own, but actually as we we begun to follow the ways of the world, and this becomes, this actually magnifies and makes the weight of this spiritual death even worse. So scripture talks about this idea of the world in a lot of different ways. And basically, the most general way we can define it when it's talking about the world is the sense of um, all that goes on around us that is not happening in the way that God had intended or designed it to be. So we could say on one extent, all the forms of evil and brokenness and hatred and and lying and all that kind of stuff, distruth, in a sense, this is what the world is talking about. And so what Paul is saying here is saying, you were dead, and this was actually part impartial because you were walking and following the ways of the world. You weren't actually, you had no inclination to actually go and follow God. And when I say you, I mean me, all of us, like he's saying to us, you had no inclination to actually go after the giver of life, to go after God, to follow his ways. Because of the brokenness, because of the confusion, you just continued following the ways of the world. And that actually left you feeling more and more confused and more and more dead. And again, when you pay attention to what's happening in the world around us, it is completely confusing. The marketplace of ideas and philosophies and religions and those that all claim to have the truth and then those that claim that there is no truth. And then others who say, well, if there is a truth, there's no way we could possibly know it in our finite beings, in our finite minds. Like we couldn't actually have access to this. And we look at this if we're paying attention and we have to start wondering, well, where do we start? Like, what do I take? What do I believe? And and if you're in the room and you do believe in something and you do have a deep conviction that there is a sense of truth, then maybe very often you're actually faced with having to decide, well, do I just believe this because somebody told me this? Because I've always believed this? It's all I've ever been taught? Because I'm surrounded by people who believe something similar? Or because I've actually taken time to investigate myself and make a personal decision as to what the truth is, what the truth isn't? This becomes the state of the world. And one of the things I find so confusing about our, about our world landscape is the messages that we hear sometimes uh, seem to rather um, emphasize the division that's going on while at the same time attempting to champion the concept of peace in the world. And, and I, get so, I get so misled by this and so confused by this. Because it seems in one ear I'm hearing, there's nothing but division, there's nothing but division. And then the other ear I'm hearing, yes, but we can all be one. I start to wonder, how can, how can that actually be? Can we actually get these two groups of people in the same room to start there? And that even itself becomes a big political, difficult game. And it, it, it just doesn't seem to work, right? And, and like, I hope you've, like, there's a like, like sense of like, weight, right? A sense of like, oh my goodness. Oh, this is, this is hard. And it's in us and it's in the world around us, right? And so, again, when scripture talks about the world, it's talking about the things that exist that are in stark opposition to God and the way that he intended for them to be. And, and we're actually born into this world. And we're actually a product of this world. Or a pro- yeah, a product of this world from the time of our, from the time of our birth. We're, we, we come into our physical life in a state of spiritual death. 
And this is one of the things that, that Scripture has to push on. The Apostle Paul here is pushing on to make clear this idea, to put us in this tension of saying, well, what is this death? And, and how did I get to this death? And did I deserve this death? And, and we might feel, well, how did the world get to this place? Is this just really what happens to humans? If, you know, you let them run free for a while and, and the world gets this corrupt and the world gets this broken and relationships are this messed up and there's this much division and this much lack of unity and, and all of the, you know, peace seems like this impossible thing and and life to the fullest seems like this impossible thing like did this all just happen on its own paul says well, actually no it's not quite that simple there's a third party there's an influencer there's somebody who's working in all of this it's the enemy it says the ruler of the kingdom of the air that's the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient It says all of us used to live, all of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, right? So there's this third party that is influencing not only what's happening in our own lives, but is influencing the world around us. And, and we recognize that this type of death, you know, this idea of, of the flesh that we feel gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Let me talk about that for a second before I go and talk about the one who's ruling the kingdom of the air now that I've got that out. But the flesh is this idea of like, okay, when we get into bed at the end of the day and we start to maybe reflect or, you know, just pray or think or whatever you do to help yourself fall asleep at night. And you begin to realize that, 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 that who, the person that you are on your own right? And so we can look at the world and we can say, well, here, you know, the lies that I've heard or the evil that I've seen is all in the world out there, right? Or it's in other people or it's in the world out there or something. But then we actually begin to realize, hold on, if I'm really honest with myself, then it's actually inside of me too. And it's not only that I've had to just figure out or discern the difference between lies and truth, but I've actually had to, I've actually become someone who's believed lies and those have begun to shape me. And more than that, I've actually been somebody who's begun to tell lies and those lies have begun to shape the worldviews and perspectives of other people as well. And we start to say, is this, now I'm a contributor to this. I'm not just an, a victim of evil and lies that are going on. I'm actually a contributor to it as well. And we say, how does all this happen? Well, again, there's this third party involved. It's the devil, right? This is the prime evil enemy of God. The prime evil, the ultimate enemy of God and people. It's actually a created being who at a point in history uh, became so full of himself, so conceited, uh, came to the point where he himself wanted to be God. And so he was actually cast out of the presence of God. He was created as an angel and was cast out of the presence of God. And he left with about a third of all the angels. And I know that's like a whole interesting concept in itself, but cast out of the presence of God. And from that time uh, has always been about destroying God, or destroying God, but destroying any idea of God and actually beginning to fuel all of the stuff that comes into this broken world that's around us. And scripture talks about Satan in a couple of different ways. First of all, the most common word we have for him or title we have for him is Satan, which is actually the Hebrew word for the Hebrew Hebrew translation of the word accuser. So primarily, um, one of the ways that the enemy works, that Satan works, is he's an accuser. An accuser is somebody who claims that someone has committed an offense or done something wrong. And so when we begin to feel shame or guilt or like that we are just the worst person, that's the effects of the enemy's influence on the world speaking to you. Of course, you're not good enough. Of course, you know, Rhonda, you're not going to get up there this morning. 
You know, you think that you have what it takes as a leader that you can go up there and you're going to lead other people when this is how you feel. He begins to accuse us, right? I mean, you talk to just about any preacher or just about any worship leader or just about any person that's involved in serving on a Sunday morning context and they will be able to tell you the amounts of lies that we begin to hear and we don't even know where they're coming from. What we do in a sense Right? We, we, we have this theoretical understanding of how Satan works, but, but there's a sense like, where did that big idea come from that all of a sudden I'm not, I can't, that this is the absolute worst sermon that's ever been preached, true or not, right? We begin to hear these things and think these things and they begin to take root within us. He's an accuser. He says things like that. And secondly, we also know the name the devil, which is just the Greek translation of the word Satan. So you can say Satan, you can say devil, you can say the enemy, you can say the ruler of the, you can call him whatever you want to call him, but this is the ways that scripture talks about him. And so from the beginning of human time, the enemy's goal, Satan's goal has been to divide people from one another and to divide people from God. Over the course of these next couple of weeks, as we go through this series, Liar, Liar, we're going to talk about a variety of the ways in which he does that, even from the beginning of the time, beginning of Scripture, when we look at, uh, you know, Adam and Eve and when they began to, when they stopped trusting God and the impact that the enemy had right there. But for our sake this morning, we're talking about lies that he tells, and, and actually this is the MO of the enemy. This is the primary way that the enemy does what he does. He tells lies to us and he tells lies about us. Jesus, on one occasion, was doing some teaching in the presence of a number of religious leaders and some people that were just beginning to follow him. And he describes Satan like this. He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's a strong description. It's his, I love how it says it's his native language, his default. The number one thing that he speaks is things that are not true, are things that are in opposition to what God has done, what God has said, things that get inside us and begin to affect us again from the inside out. And he's so crafty and skilled at doing this, at telling lies, at influencing the world in this way, where he's not just whispering his own lies, but he's getting others to do it as well. He's so crafty. And I would say that one way that it seems to me that he does this primarily is by convincing us somehow that the things we're believing are not from outside, but they're actually our very own thoughts. And I don't claim to understand fully how this works. I don't claim, to, I, I can't know exactly how he does everything that he does. I would imagine that in the room there is this sense uh, of connection to this idea though, where there are, are folks here that are saying, yeah, I have had these experiences or I have had these thoughts where something that is just so wrong and so opposite to what I fundamentally believe is true, but, but this thought came from inside of me and, and, and now I'm trying to sort out again, is that for me? Is that from the world? And I think this is actually one of the ways that the enemy works in all of this, disguising his lies as if they are our own thoughts. And we don't necessarily think of the devil all that much. I mean, it's possible to think of the devil too much, where we start to give him too much credit and believe that he's around every corner doing every little thing. And in a sense, he is manipulating and he is at work. But we can get so far gone obsessing about the devil that we forget about some other things I'll talk about in just a minute, about, you know, the truth of how God is at work in that and fighting against him and holding him at bay, actually. 
and we might have pictures of the devil, you know, you know, a monster looking creature with like a goat head or, um, you know, uh, you know, a red demon looking thing with a pitchfork and, and horns or something like that. And, and I think that those visual representations, a lot of them are uh, inspired, I think, by like Dante's Inferno and, and those kinds of things. And it's amazing how somebody wrote uh, a very long uh, poem and that actually began to shape the way that we think about someone who's actually an, an enemy, like someone who's actual true and uh, truth. And it just goes to show even the way that media today, books, movies, whatever, uh, actually shape the way we actually picture God and we or picture God, picture the enemy, whatever. And, and we can get more obsessed with what kind of a creature the enemy looks like to the point where we now forget that it's not actually about what he looks like, but it's more about how he operates and how he functions, which is exchanging what is true for a lie to the point where we are no longer able to tell, or it's very difficult for us to tell what is true and what is a lie. And that's the point of what we're talking about. And so there is this sense in us, as we're going through this passage of scripture, as I'm talking today, where his influence is widespread, right? It affects a lot of what goes on around our world. It's significant. And so we then begin to think, okay, I am in this state of spiritual deadness, or I have been in the state of spiritual deadness, or I feel like I'm in the state of spiritual deadness, that this isn't how life is supposed to be. And, and it's not just the world around me that's telling me lies, uh, that's making it difficult for me to know the truth. It's actually some stuff that's going on inside me as well. And there's this third party that's out there uh, actively trying to destroy me because this, Satan absolutely hates us and wants to ruin us, wants to separate us from God, alienate us from God, alienate us from others to this point where we feel completely hopeless and helpless all on our own. We get to this point of saying, it's really, if it's really this complicated, what can actually fix this? Or what is the solution that Scripture gives us for a problem like this? Because we, we, we can't go and, I mean, if you're dead, like how can you solve a, a problem if you're dead, right? If you're laying dead, you're not just going to say like, I, I think that's enough of this and just get up and start walking again, right? There has to be some outside influence or outside power or outside source that actually steps in and does something on our behalf. And this is where we get to kind of the refreshing, encouraging part of the passage that we're dealing with. And it starts with the word but. But. Every once in a while, as you're reading through Scripture, you're going to come across a word like but, or therefore, or so. And when you see these words, these words are essentially like a hinge. They're connecting two big ideas. These, this is, you know, I don't mean to be crass, but this is the kind of but you need to stop and look at, okay? Stop and pay attention to. Because there's death, but then there's but. Because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by, it's by grace you have been saved. But God. There's the, 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 the lies, there's the world, there's the confusion, there's our own spiritual death, there's the effects of the enemy, there's brokenness, but there's God. The one who's created, the one who's sustaining, the one who's keeping us going, the one who hasn't packed his bags and abandoned all of us and said, forget you. Instead, we see God who's rich in mercy, it tells us has all the mercy, all the grace there is to have, looks to us and with compassion says, it's not going to be like that anymore. 
And he is the one who makes the move and comes to earth. And we've sung about this and we reflect on this often as a church. He is the one who sees us in our spiritual deadness and has compassion and says, I didn't make you to be dead. I made you to live. And I'm going to make it possible for you to experience that life. Which means no matter what your life feels like in the midst of the lies that you've ingested that have begun to take root within you and shape the way you see yourself or the world around you, if you have this sense of, you know, being abandoned or hopeless or this sense of, of de- just depressed and darkness and, and it just feels like it's lingering to the point where this depression just doesn't go away, where you'd even say, no, this does feel like death where you've not only believed lies, but you've come to this point of telling lies, or you're actually living in this place where you don't even know what you're saying or what you're hearing anymore because everything, we don't even know what truth is or what lies are or what life is or what death is. And we're feeling lonely and we have these experiences of being stuck in our sin with like no possibility of changing our current position, our current uh, life situation. Like I just can't do this on my own. And, And in one way or another, we have these experiences. We have these feelings. Some of us perhaps have spent many years of our life trapped in feeling that as if there was no escape, but then God, who's rich in mercy, right? Others are in the room and you're saying, no, I'm feeling this right now. And I don't, I have not experienced the richness of God's mercy or the fullness of God's grace. I don't, I don't, I don't seem to even feel like I can have access to the life that God can give. Might even be how you're feeling. But scripture debunks that lie and says, but God who's rich in mercy, right? And so God, who's the one who's the creator, he created us and never gave up. Again, over the coming weeks, we're going to hear about when this spiritual death entered into the world and the effects that it began to have. The very first thing that happened, Adam and Eve, they go and they hide themselves. And the very next thing that happens, I should say, is God goes and it's as if, it says as if he's walking in their presence, creates something that covers them up and covers the guilt and the shame. He makes the move to actually begin this restoration process. That's an act of his own compassion and love. And because he created us, he knows even better than we know ourselves what we need for ourselves, which means he understands what our spiritual death is like. He understands what this segregation or alienation from him feels like and says, no, it's not supposed to be that way to the point where he's not going to let us figure it out on our own. But instead, he's going to say, because I know you, because I made you, because I know exactly what your life is going to be like, I'm actually going to do what is necessary to give you everything that you need to live life the way it was meant to be. He knows that there's no way we could have rescued ourselves because he created us to rely on him fully, which is the beauty of this passage. And the beauty of what we call the gospel message, the beauty of what the whole entire storyline, narrative, trajectory of the Bible is all about, telling us the story of who the person Jesus actually is. Jesus, the Son of God, is sent here to live among us, to give his life for us, that through him, we will have access to this life, be given this new life. But what's amazing about scripture is that Jesus is also called the truth. He says about himself, and then others begin to recognize this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Not just that I know the way, come follow me, and we'll discover it together. Not just I have some truth that I can teach you, I'm not just a good teacher, and not only do I have life, but I am the way, it is through me that I am the way to God, he says. And I am the truth, not only of God, but the truth, like the capital T truth, all the truth, because all truth belongs to God. He's the creator of truth itself, and he's the one who gives us full life. And so 
He's the embodiment of what truth is, which means everywhere Jesus goes and everywhere we proclaim his name or everywhere we read scripture about him or every time we pray and ask for his help like we have been this morning, there's this sense where the truth begins to come in and begins to illuminate all of the areas of darkness that are held in shade by the lies and evil around us uh, are, are, are lingering. And there's this illumination that comes with all of this. And so Jesus in his life, he doesn't just live as a good teacher and then go away f- and then go away but he actually lives life and then dies in our place. He experiences the death, right? The death that we died, he experiences that death even though he didn't have to, but he does it in our place. And then we're given this incredible offer from God in love. In his mercy, he says, receive my son, who's a gift. And as you receive this gift, then you begin to experience fullness of life like you were meant to experience it from the very beginning. You become rescued from this death. And, and so there's like two groups of people in the room, at least, for the sake of what I'm saying, at least two groups of people. There's one group of people who have certainly at some point in life said, yes, I have received Jesus. I've trusted in him. I believe he's the son of God. And I'm, I've, I've certainly still have some questions and I'm still working it out. I'm not this perfect person by any stretch of it, but I, I'm still, I'm trusting in him. And there's the other group of people who haven't yet come to a point of saying, I trust, I, I receive and, and what's interesting about these two groups of people, wherever you stand, is it is still difficult to make the decision each day to rely on him fully and completely. And like I said earlier, we seem to have this predisposition to uh, giving more weight or more leverage to the lies or the things that aren't true than we do to the things that are true in our lives. And so we find ourselves, no matter what camp we're in, actually having to say, well, we could read this passage, which, you know, if you notice the tense of it, he says, you were like this. You were dead, but you're not dead anymore because of God who's rich in mercy. You were following the ways of the world. You were being influenced by the one who's the ruler of the, uh, the kingdom, those, and those who are disobedient, the devil. You were caught up in gratifying your flesh. You were, but then you trusted Jesus, and that's not who you are anymore. But the enemy accuses those of us who are in Christ, doesn't he? And he says, you think you're still in Christ? You think he still loves you? The thing you said to so whosoever on your, way to, on your way here this morning, the fight that you had last night, the way you treated that coworker, the way you stole from your place of work, the way you cheated on your test, you still think he has space for you? You gave no time to him. You gave no time for God. You sing all these songs you know, I surrender everything. You, you think he actually bought, and like, it's like he's this accusing voice speaking lies and saying, you're dead. You're not alive. And yet it's not by anything that we do. We get to say to the enemy as he speaks to us, no, I was dead. Yeah. I was caught up in sin and transgression, alienated from God and other people. I was, but that's not who I am anymore. And we get to say, for those of us that are in Christ, we get to say, make me the person that you said I am already, God. Bring others into my life that are going to support me in this. Let me have a, like a significant encounter with you that I get to experience this fullness of life. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I'm not believing that lie anymore. And then those who haven't yet trusted in Jesus, I know that this is a big ask, but I'm, I'm saying, come on the journey of receiving Jesus knowing that you're not having to be perfect or figured out or anything of that sort, knowing that it's going to be a long time till we are, but that God who is rich in mercy and his love is doing, has done, and is continuing to do everything that we need to make us into the person that we were always meant to be, a person who lives in the light of the truth and not confined to the death that evil and lies have brought upon us. 
And so if you're wanting to make a decision like that, I actually want to just help you with this. And this is not something our church is shy about. This is not something our church wants to beat around the bush about. We want to be real honest in saying that when it comes to facing the realities of the world, we don't have like step one, step two, step three. And if you just follow that, like we don't have any of our own personal solutions to this. And you know what's one of the accusations I heard? Because I preached this message last week already in Vaughn and, and now again today, right? And one of the accusations I've heard uh, from the enemy that I begin to think is like, you're going to tell people how royally screwed up and dead the world is and how dead they are and how dead you have been and you feel. And you're just going to tell them that Jesus is the solution to that. Like you're going to make them believe something that, you know, maybe sometimes you even question yourself. And I've had to be like, whoa, like, I know I'm preaching on the subject of the enemy, getting those lies inside me to make me feel like it's my own truth. It's my own thought that I'm coming up with this myself. And yet here I am again saying, I can't think of any other way other than to say it has to be God, the one who gave life, continuing to follow his plan. And his plan, he said it's good enough for him to send his son. So I'm going to rely on him and trust him in that. So if you're at this place where you're saying, I do not have all the answers, because if the preacher doesn't have all the answers, like there's no expectation that anybody else in the room ought to have all these answers. Oftentimes we do not have as many answers as you think we have. By the way, Vijay would say the same thing. So maybe you got to pray something simple like this. And if you're trusting or receiving Jesus for the first time, you can pray this. And maybe you're on the journey of you've been following him for many years. You can still pray this as if you want this new in your life. Jesus, rescue me from this death. I want to follow you and receive the truth and life that only you can give me. I want to know the truth. And I'm going to begin following you today. And, and if you are praying that for the first time or thinking that for the first time or you're working that out in your soul for the first time, however you're doing that, you're not alone on that. I'm around. There's other, many other people around that would love to chat with you and pray with you. Some of them will be up here. Some of them will be back by the um, welcome table afterwards because we want to talk to you about how this actually begins to play itself out. And if, if you're someone who's been trusting Jesus for a while and you're saying, well, I, I'm, I'm going to begin following you today. Well, that's not what it is. It's, it's actually just a confession saying, I'm going to continue following you today, trusting that you are true. And, and so really practically on top of this for all of us, we want to, I want to give you a kind of like a tool that will help. And that's a difficult slide to read, understandably. But on your seat or somewhere near you, there should be a bookmark that looks like this. Um, you might have to pass one around. And if you, do, if you don't have one, there are extras uh, at the welcome table as well. But um, VJ often comes up with these, these cute one-liners, and I never get them. But this time I came up with one, and I was so happy um, about it. How do we actually combat, I mean, with Jesus, trusting that he's the only way for sure? One thing we have to be vigilant about and actively doing is we've got to identify the truth. No, wait, identify the lie and give it the boot with the truth. Okay, how about that? I don't know how you feel about that. I was very proud until my delivery just now when I messed it up. But identify the lie and give it the boot with the truth. Okay, really practically, one of the things we are going to be praying into over the next six weeks, talking or the next five weeks up until Easter, talking about going through in this series is here are the things in our world that are blatant lies. 
And here are the things that are true that combat them. And so I've broken these down into three basic categories because I think that the majority of the lies that we believe are, are in one of these categories around our acceptance, around our significance, or around our security. Right? So when it comes to acceptance, we often have this internal battle where nobody likes me. Nobody wants me. I'm a failure. I'm alone. I'm going to have to figure this out. I'm by myself. There's no place for me. Those are lies. In all of their iterations and all of the different versions they come through, they are not true. And so you can look down this list and you can see, well, when it comes to being accepted, first and foremost, I see myself as being someone who's accepted by God. And if I'm, created, if I'm accepted by the one who's created me and is holding me together, keeping me alive, giving me the things I need to live life to the fullest, then with that truth, I begin to be able to combat all the other types of lies that come in because I know my identity is not one that is not accepted. It's accepted by the one where it really matters. Or it has to do with our significance. These lies that get inside us, I'm worthless. I have no purpose. I have no vision. I, have, I don't even know what I'm doing. I can't go on this way. Well, that's a lie. You're going to identify the lie and you're going to give it the boot. You're going to push back or fight back against it with the realities of Scripture that tell us who we are according to God in his word. And there's a whole bunch of them there. I love actually in our passage this morning, the tense of it, right? It's not that you will be seated in the high places with Jesus. It says you already are. And we're not physically or there, but it's like that identity is already true for us. We're already in the, in the sense that close to God. And then the security, right? God doesn't want me. God has stopped loving me. You know, the accusations we hear from the enemy that says you're not good enough, those condemning remarks that we hear, uh, you know, we can look to these truths about security and we can say, you know, from Philippians, for example, I'm confident that God will complete the good work he started in me. Meaning, you know what? Life isn't exactly how I know God has it for me yet, but he's not done and he's still doing work. That's true. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I'm untouchable. I have this sense of security where the love of God will never give up on me because he'll never give up on me. That's his promise. That's his word. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, please. And um, just as, you know, we kind of printed this so you can like tuck it in your purse or your Bible or fold it up and put it in your pocket or take a picture of it or stick it on, you know, the mirror in your bathroom or wherever you read or wherever you want to, whatever, you know, because this is actually like something we want you to use. I'm going to be using it. I need to use it. I need to cling to these truths as well. Because like I said, the enemy is crafty and it's not just out there. We have this sense of a being within us as well. And so um, as we kind of go back into uh, just reflecting on um, what we've heard today, um, the, the team is going to lead us in this song that is about uh, the power of Jesus and how he makes uh, mountains tremble. Is that, that's the line, isn't it? Jesus, the darkness. Je the darkness tremble. That makes more sense. You make the darkness tremble. And as we sing this, we, I want us to all kind of be in this sense of, uh, of saying, yeah, like the truth is so strong that the darkness of evil is beginning to shake and run away. Because wherever the truth is, wherever that light goes, it illuminates the darkness. And Jesus sees where the lies are and isn't afraid of those places. He sees where the death is. He's not afraid of those places. He sees where the evil is. He's not afraid of those places. He goes right for them, exposes what is a lie and shows us what is truth. And wherever that light goes is where he is because he is the truth. And so as we 
join with the team in singing this, whether it's a familiar song or not, whether you want to sing your guts out or whether you just need to spend some time like reflecting on this, like in your heart and in your soul, letting it get from, you know, your head down into your heart. Um, whatever you need to do, this is an opportunity for us to say, yes, Jesus, be truth. You are truth. Let me see you as truth. And so Jesus, we do pray that you'd help us in this moment. The enemy is even working now, I'm sure. He hates us. He hates what we're doing here. And we're saying he has no power. Jesus, you have defeated him. You're stronger than him. You are the truth. And as we proclaim your name, he runs and hides. Evil runs and hides. Lies begin to be exposed and we see what is true. And as we go on this journey of figuring out what is a lie, as those things are lit up, Lord, I pray that at the end of it, we would be left with you, the one who is truth, that we'd be so satisfied. And so Jesus, as we sing together as a congregation, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us again. Maybe there's someone in the room that is actually making this confession of wanting to follow you for the first time today. Jesus, I pray that they would just be so certain that you are for real so confident in your love and the peace that you offer that they are made right with God, their creator, and that they now get to begin this journey of experiencing life the way it was meant to be. And for those of us that have been following you for a while, we just admit that the enemy, we recognize the enemy is still trying to attack us and get at us all the time. And sometimes we believe him, but we don't want to. And we, re we resonate with this passage this morning and we say, that's who we were, but that's not who I am anymore. I used to be separate from God, but now I'm his child. I used to be dead, but now he's given me life. I used to be lost, but now he's shown me that he's the way. I received Jesus' truth. Help us, Jesus, today. And as we go all the way through until Easter, that you'd help us to be honest with the things that we've heard and that have taken root within us and that you'd expose those and give us life. So we pray, Jesus, that you'd make this happen now as we continue to sing and worship you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.